Did you know that BHM was actually started as only a week-long celebration founded by Carter G. Woodson? He chose a week in February because it coincided with Abraham Lincoln's birthday on February 12th and then also Frederick Douglass's birthday on February 20th. Later on in 1969, it was actually discovered that they need an entire month, which I think is absolutely amazing. And I totally agree. And I'm so happy that it was changed to a month-long celebration. This has been my favorite series of podcasts to record because I've been able to sit down with two amazing, strong, and beautiful Black women and talk with them about what they're doing in their communities and what they're doing for themselves and celebrating this month. Today's episode was really exciting because the connection that our guest and I have been able to build has been created off of some, you know, unfortunate events, but has been able to mold and shift into this amazing relationship between two colored people that have found commonalities in some of the oppression that we've faced as a people and being able to say enough is enough and we're speaking what's on our hearts with each other and just being able to love and support one another and I'm absolutely excited about today's episode so let's get right into it. Hi I'm Cola Shippentower and this is the Enough is Enough podcast the show where we talk about everything and anything from politics to relationships, from fitness to sex and everything in between. We talk with individuals who have said enough is enough and are ready to speak what's on their hearts. All right, I am super excited because the month of February is Black History Month and we have already covered our first episode with Imani and being allowed this space and the opportunities to celebrate this amazing culture and these amazing people. I just feel so blessed to know so many strong black women. And I really feel that a lot of this, I don't want to say exposure, but where our paths have crossed has been because of the turn up squad. And we talked about that in the episode with Imani, Um, but it's giving me so many more opportunities to meet so many more beautiful women in this world. And I just am too excited. I can't hold off anymore. So we're going to go ahead and bring our next guest on, Miss Latasha Campbell. If you could just give me your introduction, tell everyone who you are. My name is Latasha Campbell. Um, I was born in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, so I'm from the South, but I reside in Port Huron, Michigan. Um, I met the beautiful Cola through the Turn Up, um, which is a group of powerful women from all different backgrounds, all different races, all different ages, all different economic and ethnic, you know, backgrounds, and it's just a big melting pot of sheer beauty. In, in its rawest form. Um, and I am a mother of two. I have a 26-year-old and a 10-year-old, 26-year-old girl and a 10-year-old boy. And um, I am raising them. We're raising him. She no longer lives here. She lives in a different city. She's doing great. And I also take care of my mother who is uh, disabled. Uh, but she raised me on her own and I think I turned out pretty good. Oh, hell yeah. I think so too. <laughs> I know so too. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and you are engaged? Yes, I am engaged to my son's father. His name is Charles Steen Sr., um, who I was just speaking to a little while ago. Um, he is from Detroit, Michigan. Um, he moved here. I didn't know him. Like, I met him crazy. I met him. He came to fix my mom's car. He, mm-hmm. you know, he's a, he's a what do they say? A, um, 
something, something, but a master of none. I can't think of the first part of it. Like he can tinker with Nikki. He can build homes. He can work on cars. He's just a, a really, really all around hands-on kind of guy. And he came to fix my mom's car. And I thought we had ran a, a my mother ran an in-home daycare at that time. And I'm thinking, oh, not another child. Like we're, we don't have any room for any more children in this house. Um, but he was actually coming to fix her vehicle. And we sparked up a conversation. And uh, he was like, I've never seen you around here. I'm like, I've never seen you because I'm pretty much a homebody. So I never really, you know, like I, I mean, I would go out with the girls, but that was about it. So we sparked up a conversation. Our first date was at, um, <laughs> it was at a restaurant uh, down in the Mount Clemens area. And we've been together ever since. And I think we're going on. I'm going to say my son is 10. He'll be 11 this year. We are going on either 14 or 15 years together. Oh, wow. That is yep. amazing. Yep. And Latasha, what do you, what do you do? Like, what's your involvement like around in the community or work-wise? What do you got going on? I, um, I hold a master's degree in management and I also hold a certificate in project management. I work for the state of Michigan. I am a social worker with DHHS. Um, so I'm responsible for making sure that people have um, food assistance, Medicaid, Medicare um, for our elderly. Um, we do what's called SCRs. So basically I make sure like if you have a pass due or a shut off for like your electricity or your gas, or if you need propane fills or wood, however you heat your home, um, we make sure that we get that to you. If you qualify, there's always like a sliding scale as to how you qualify. And we also do like rent to prevent eviction or rent to relocate. So if you're facing eviction and you're going through the court process, we try and make sure, especially if you have children. And the reason why it's so important if you have children, because the minute you say that you're homeless, it's like an automatic CPS referral if you have children, because we cannot allow children to be homeless on the street. So a lot of times clients will say, oh, well, I'm homeless. And I'll say, so you don't have a regular nighttime residence? And then I'll, when I mentioned that it's an automatic you know, CPS referral, they'll say, well, no, my kids are allowed to stay like with my, with my mom or their grandparents or friends, but I myself am not allowed to stay there for whatever the reason may be. So as long as we can secure you know, the fact that the child is not gonna be out on the street living, then we, you know, we, we don't do a CPS referral because we don't want to separate mom and dad from child. Like that's not our, that's not our goal. Um, our goal is to keep the family together. So that's why they have like the reunification program that CPS does once, you know, if they do have to part ways because of a situation that they can't really solve at that time, they have a lot of funding that they use for reunification of those families. So, and, and in a sense, like I make sure that the people can eat and they stay warm and they have medical if they need medical assistance um, and that they have shelter. So that's what I do for the state of Michigan. Oh, wow. So right off the bat, I didn't realize that we had so many things in common because my oldest son is actually 10 years old. So I recently just posted about how we went from the really when, when times get rough, when either they're angry or they're sad or they're upset or anything, we went from him wanting just cuddles and maybe tearing up a little bit and just wanting loves to he full blown thinks he's Eminem and putting his hoodie on and is just <laughs> don't want nothing to do with it. <laughs> so we're in this weird transition right now. So I didn't realize we had a son at the same age. Yes. So that's really yes. cool. And then the other side is that, um, 
both of us do have this background in CPS work because I was actually the CPS screener for our tribe. So essentially a lot of what you're doing is a lot of the work that I was doing with our tribe. Of course, mm -hmm. I just started and was kind of really getting into it. Um, so that means like you're fully essential to your community. So what has the pandemic been like for you then? Probably more busy than usual. Oh, it has been crazy. Um, when we've been working from home, my first day working from home was March 23rd. Um, I've been working from home and I was fortunate enough to have a room that I just had like my workout stuff in. So I was like, oh, great. I have an office. So um, my daughter, as my Christmas present to me, she decorated my whole office and it was amazing. So, you know, it was like, we're like, oh yeah, we get to work from home. So, you know, when the calls start coming in, it was like, we had never seen such an influx of applications because, you know, we're talking about people who own their own businesses, who work for these, you know, I mean, these, you know, top three, you know, auto companies and, you know, people that work for Johnson and Johnson and people that work for these local companies that really made like, we're talking like $25, $35 an hour. You know, they were the breadwinners at home. You know, they had stay at home wives, you know, who, or, or whatever, you know, whoever their mate was didn't have to work because they were the breadwinner to nothing to like, cause you know, for a while there, unemployment was crazy. People weren't getting it. People were like, it was delayed. Like people were having uh, situations where someone had used social security number of theirs. So they had to clear their name to get unemployment all while their bills are still racking up, right? So they're still not being able to feed their families. So I would get calls like, like I mean, emotional calls where like clients would be crying because they were like, I've never had to do this before. I'm so ashamed. I don't know what to do. I'm embarrassed. And that's when I have like, because you know, as you as you know, as I know, we have to wear more than one hat. So now I turn from just being someone that makes sure that you have food and everything you need, but also counseling you and telling you that it's okay. Letting you know that you're still human, that you're not dehumanized because you don't have the lucrative life that you used to have. It's not your fault. So I found myself. So for lack of better terms, talking a lot of my clients off the ledge because they would literally be on the phone crying for like a half an hour. Like, and I'd be like, it's okay. And they were like, no, but it's embarrassing. And you know, what are my neighbors gonna think? And I'm like, you don't even know. Maybe your neighbors were my last call, you know, before you, you don't know. So don't, don't like we say in the turn up, don't judge you against someone else, you know, and don't be embarrassed. Like we say in the turn up, lean in. Like, don't be embarrassed. If you need us, that's what we're here for. If you didn't need me, there'd be no need for me. You know, and they would be like, I never thought about it that way. And like, they would just say things. And it made my, what makes my job valuable to me is when I, I feel like I've made a difference in their life. When they tell me at the end of the conversation, like, I feel so much better. Like, I didn't know where to go. I didn't know how to start. You talk to me like a human being. And I'm like, because that's what you are. Your money, your house, your car, your jewelry, your shoes do not make you human. And once they realized that I was not there to judge them, they, they stopped crying and they were like, you know, and I would tell them and, and I would get real personal. And I would say, I had had, I've had food stamps before. I've had Medicaid before. Back before they counted assets, I took I took the buyout from Chrysler. I had 100 grand in the bank, had a brand new car. I, I had a fiance, he was working in the home with me, raising our child together because I got pregnant. So I was able to qualify for Medicaid and food, food stamps. So I'm like, 
I've been where you at. They're like, well, but, but how? And I'm like, because it was available, I needed it. I was eligible and I used it for what it was for, which is exactly why you're calling. So we got, I mean, we would have, it was nothing. Like right now, I just, I just logged off. And right now we have like 495 applications sitting in a queue waiting to be processed. And that's not. So then we had thousands. Like we hadn't even, we call them buckets. We hadn't even touched some of the buckets. Thousands of applicants who, who really, truly needed. You're always going to have that select few that like try to scam the system. But in the pandemic, it was like literally these people needed what we, the state of Michigan, had to offer. And they qualified. And it was rightfully theirs. So we were... And we still are very busy because the pandemic still, I mean, even though they've opened up Michigan a little bit, we are still like getting applications. People are not working or they got the unemployment for a while, which really sucks because they would get it. And because they made so much money, it made them not qualified because now they're making money, right? Well, then then unemployment ended. So they had to reapply. So we're seeing a, like a like a cycle. Like, you know, they apply, they get food, they get Medicaid, then they get a job, then they get, you know, then they're denied because they make too much money. Then they're unemployed again. So then it's like an ongoing cycle and the pandemic just added one more key to the wheel. So yes, we have been super busy. Like I said, with clients who have never in their life, never, I mean, never had to apply. For, and they're like, what is, like, how do I use this bridge card? Like, what do I do with it? I mean, to, to, that, to that simplicity, they were like, what can I buy with it? I'm like, you can't buy, you can't buy lottery, you can't buy alcohol and tobacco, but you can buy anything that you can eat unless it's hot, but from behind the counter, but you can get your cold cuts cut the way you want them. You can buy steak, lobster, it doesn't matter. They're like, off of this card. And I'm like, yeah. And then we had some clients who um, we had a program and it was just for the children because the kids were not, you know, they weren't doing actual on-site school. So they got a, you got a card mailed to you. It was in the eldest child's name. And they would load that card with enough food for like that group. Like you said, if you had a group of three, you would get like, let's say like $580 in food assistance. And some people were like the flip side, some people were like, I'm not gonna, I'm not using that. I'm not using that card. Like that's, I'm not, I'm not gonna be seen in the store with the bridge card. I, I can't what? force you. You wanna eat? <laughs> yeah, you know, but your kids have to eat. You mm -hmm. know, they'd be like, well, can I get like, cash instead like no like you can't I can't circumvent the, the system for you to be to continue to want to be who again you're letting society make you out to be like you have to live up to this status quo no your kids are hungry you got a card in the mail use it if you don't want to use it cut it up I mean I can't tell you to not use it so yes we have seen a, and this and it's non-stop and I don't think it's I think even after the pandemic is over so they say Whenever that may be, I think there'll still be a lot of people who are still hurting because a lot of a lot of these like mom and pop stores, they they had to shut down. These mom and pop restaurants, they had to shut down. So they had to lay off all these people who all they've done in their lives is so far as be a waitress or you know, a busser or do the, you know, the dishes. And now they have nothing. So it's it's not gonna, it's not gonna go away. We're still gonna be pretty busy, I think, for for quite some time. Yeah, absolutely. And then for people that aren't from your area, um, because I even myself am having a hard time trying to picture what Michigan's demographic might look like. Well, what does that look like for you? 
Well, for my community, I will say that um, we have, and it's so funny, we talked about this the other day, we have like a higher number of African-Americans and non-white residents. But when we talk about as far as assistance, it's like pretty even across the board. But when we look at CPS, like CPS, we were talking because one of the young ladies is in CPS. She states that there are more children pulled from African, African-American homes than white homes. And a perfect example that she gave was a lot of the times the schools will make these phone calls because, and, it, and it, here's an example, uh, a school called because one of the students had missed school because he had to stay home and watch his younger sibling because the mom had to work. Single parent home, so they called CPS. And it's like, so you want her to work, but you don't want her to work. You want the child to be educated, but then you, if he left the little one at home, you, that's another CPS referral. So why not try to find a way to help this family by not calling CPS, but giving them some type of, some type of assistance that they can use to help, like maybe offer her some type of childcare that you can refer her to us for. You know, because we do childcare as well. We help with that. So it's like, instead of helping these families, you know, these African-American families, they're more likely to get CPS called on the bed, a case where one of the children came to school wearing the siblings' clothes because that's all that they had, they had to share clothes. They called CPS. Why? They, they have on shoes, they have on socks, they have on pants, a shirt, and a coat, a hat, and gloves. But because the clothes are too big, because you know that those are the siblings' clothes, you call CPS on that African-American mom because her kids came to school and the clothes were too big. See, this, so, is the, this is the issue that we run into quite a bit on the reservations, almost everywhere, all over the country. And then we also know that this is really present and happens a lot in black communities, which is really frustrating to me. And this was part of why I'd gotten into CPS in the first place was I was getting so tired of seeing these white women who had gone to get their education trying to come to the reservation and figure out how they were going to help these poor little Indian kids. And then when a tribal member comes in is like, I know the community, I know this family, I know what they're going through on a personal level, because in a long bloodline that, that those are my relatives. So I'm also going through the same thing with them. Um, being so embedded in the community and being someone that's so involved and attached to the community, not just on uh, talking about demographics and living in the same area, but these are my people. I am with my people. And so the same for you is you're a Black woman, a strong Black woman in a Black community. So you understand the different dynamics that could happen in homes. And the frustrating part for me was in that job, I was very much supposed to be observant. And when I would try to put in my two cents and say, hey, I know that they're having a difficult time right now because their grandfather just passed away, who isn't just a grandfather, but he plays dad to a lot of the kids because that's the only male role model that they have in their life. Like a pillar in their family is just left. So yes, their finances are really hard right now. And it was like almost really hard for me to sit there and watch these women that aren't from the community trying to advocate for our kids and would be really quick to do that. And I think it happens all too often. 
where uh, the minority are minorities are very much stereotyped really quick where I can honestly say without a doubt that my my kids my boys are very well taken care of but they're also very rugged and they like to play outside like I'm very old school like I'm gonna push you outside go play with some sticks and some rocks and mud that's what we had when we were growing up so you go do the same thing if they were to show up to school and do the same thing and get all dirty I would probably get a call on them as opposed to maybe a white child that went in there and is having other issues, but if they did the exact same thing, probably wouldn't get a call, which Mm -hmm. is really frustrating for me as a mom, as a native, and as a woman is you're kind of attacking me on all these different levels with a call like that. So I could definitely see that um, happening. And that was my motivation for getting into uh, that field. It wasn't the end goal, but that's kind of how I ended up there. So um, would you say you maybe had a similar experience getting into this line of work? Well, mine was, um, I started out, you know, I wanted to get out, but my goal was to get an MBA because like, I figured I can be, a, you know, I have a master's in business administration and I'm going to go into business. And, you know, that was my thing. And so as I went through it, I was like, well, a master's in management, to me, I can go anywhere. I don't have to be generalized. I can take a, I can be a master. I can have a master's of management degree and take it. I can be a manager at Kmart or Kroger, you know, so I could go anywhere. So when I got into, it, it actually, it just kind of like, I stumbled upon it. Like I was, I had my son, I'd already applied um, through the state of Michigan. I hadn't heard anything. I'm like, okay, but it didn't matter because I was pregnant with my son. So after I had my son, I was like, okay, I haven't gotten any hits yet. I'll just go ahead and go back to, you know, working in the factory because I mean, I do know how to do that. And so I worked locally though. So once I got the call, I was like, oh, okay, this will be great. So when I started working there, I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to help, you know, these communities and it's going to be, you know, this is going to be great. Like I, I mean, I service the community that I live in. Like Perfect, because I, you know, some people that did, that work here don't live here, right? They come from Mount Clemens or they drive in from Detroit. And when I say that, it's like Detroit is about an hour away. Mount Clemens is about 40 minutes away, whereas I work seven minutes from my office. Like I live literally seven minutes from work. Well, now I live right down the hallway from work because I work from home. But um, it was so mind-blowing to listen and hear some of the conversations that were being said about these young black women. And in my office, and I will say in my office, you know, right now, like I said, we just started this DEI committee and we just did a survey. And they asked, you know, like, do we think that there is systemic racism in our office? And 20% of the staff said no. And I'm like, what? Like, what? And we didn't even get all the results back from the survey. Like we still have like 30% of the survey. No, we only got, 30% 30% back. So we're missing like 70% of the survey. So we're like, I can only imagine if we already got 20% saying no, like, and we would watch. We call it the fishbowl because like our, where we sit there, like we're downstairs as ES workers, upstairs is CPS, foster care, adult services is downstairs as well. We could watch literally every child that came through was a black child coming for visits with their, with their you know, they've been removed from the home. And it's like, some of these will be newborn babies. Like they were, you know, cause if they were not allowed to have children anymore, like they were, they were told not to or whatever, they'd go out and have another baby. And then it, CPS would be right at the hospital, take the baby. And so you see these white women, you know, like, like they were like almost disgusted by the fact that, oh, another one. And it's like, why did you get into this business of 
helping people. And I, 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 and I am a chief union steward at my job. And I'm the, there's me and one other lady and we're both the only two black women. We're the only two chief stewards in our office. We're the only chief stewards in our whole office. And we're the only two black women that sit on this DEI committee. And I often say, why are you here? Are you really here to make change? And it's like, you can just see the, the demeanor and how they like, look at these moms that come in that have had their children taken. And they basically continue to criticize and chastise these moms. And I'm like, I don't know what is going on outside of the office because I didn't remove the child, but I can sure see with my own eyes and hear with my ears how they're talking to this woman. And like, where is the promotion? And to me, it's like there was more promoting reunification with the white moms and their children than it was with the black moms and or dads and their children. And like they would have to go into this room and you'd have to have like the mom, like the worker would have to be behind like the glass watching like the interaction between the families. And like they would be like glued to the, like glued there, you know, when there was African-American, you know, family time. And then like, you know, they casually walk in and out, you know, like they come in when there was a, you know, a white family. And I'm like, something's not right. And, and it's like, yeah. there's and an you to, disconnect. Yes. And for you to say, Whoever the twenty percent is that there's no system, no, no systemic racism in our office is like, what hole is your head buried in that you believe that is not a thing? It is definitely a thing, and it's like I say, and it's to the fact we had a young lady who wanted to adopt. She tried her, she tried and tried and tried to have children, and she never could. And there was so like we got to the point we'd be like, well, what about that baby? What about that baby? And she would, she would find a reason why. These babies that we were asking her about were black babies. We'd be like, what? She'd be like, oh no, no, I, oh, I love, oh, I believe she's so cute or he's so cute. But then they brought in a blonde baby, blue eyed, and she fostered and has now adopted said child. And it's like, you had plenty, a plethora of children come through. I mean, right, newborn, right from the womb, like you could have reared and put all of you into. And there was always a reason why that, that something was wrong. And I'm like, you know, I wish I could adopt all these babies, but I can't. I know me and my fiance would part ways at that point. He'd be like, um, where are you going with all these kids? Yeah. So <laughs> I, just the mere fact that I am in it, I will say that I never knew so much racism existed because I wasn't, I wasn't in the thick of it. You know what I mean? I have my own family, my own little life, and I'm in my own little box right here. And I got my friends and me and my friends, we're not racist. And even our friends that are not black, you know, they're, you know, from what we know, they're not racist. So to be put into a position where I'm servicing my community and I'm like, this person who I would never think educated, very well-spoken, very nice, polite, memorable is racist. Like, how is that even... And they'll say, well, no, I'm not racist. I, 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 just, I just don't agree with, you know, whatever, whatever. They, you know, it became the, I just don't agree with Black Lives Matter. I agree with All Lives Matter. All right. Nobody's talking about that right now. So then that became another whole conversation. But you're right. You have people that come in from other places that I can, I can talk to my people because I am my people. Yeah. Right? I, I am 
I am an African-American. I am a black woman. I am an educated woman. I am all these things that you are not. So you cannot tell me that the way you're talking to them is acceptable because you don't talk to your people that way. You know, and well, they're clients. It doesn't matter, they're human. At the end of the day, I don't care. I'm not, I'm not, I am not saying that, you know, child abusers, accept, I'm, that is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is they are human beings. Mm-hmm. And how about you get their history? You don't know what happened to them as a child mm-hmm. by their mom or their dad or their uncle or their cousin or their mom or dad's friend. You don't know because you're not taking the time to find out. You're immediately judging as soon as they walk through the door. Yeah. So, yes. What I find really frustrating, and especially with last year with um, BLM and everything really coming to a head, and it was from a lot of white people where they're sitting there saying, I'm not racist. I'm like, okay, in your heart and in your mind, you might feel that you're not racist, but what you just said is racist. Can we just and they still didn't get it. Yep. And they, and they still, still didn't get it. Yep. yep. Absolutely. So last year was a really tough year. I know for a lot of us, and especially for um, a lot of indigenous peoples, we really want to be there for uh, the black community because we see you all as brothers and sisters still, because we have all seen the horrible things that can happen to our people. And a lot of people that are non-tribal or white people are usually like, well, that happened so long ago. That was my ancestors. Are you really going to hold it against me? And it's kind of like, okay, as long as I'm still dealing with the repercussions of what your people have done to mine, then yeah, I'm probably still going to hold on to this for a little bit. You're still benefiting from all the things that have happened. Whereas the rest of us, like you said, it's systemic racism where People should be able to go and get the assistance that they need without feeling judged right from the yes. get Because it's not just Native Americans that need it. It's not just Black people that need it. There are plenty of white people that go in and get assistance as well. But yes, very surface level, they get treated very differently. Yep. So it's, it's a really tough job. And I definitely commend you for sticking with it. And for me, I'm like... I really didn't want to do child welfare for very long. I had really like tried to wrap my heart around maybe three years. And I've had a lot of people tell me that a social worker's uh, career length is about what they say, eight years. And that's usually about when you start wearing out and you're like done with it. Um, so I commend any way that's able to stick with it for longer than I would say three years. It's, it's a really heavy job. Um, kind of shifting gears a little bit because I know you do a lot of other work for your community and not just like your local community, but even like virtually. And for a lot of the women that we, we get to work with now, um, we met in the turnip and at some point, if Tansy's listened to this, I'm coming for her. I'm going to sit her down and get like all the nitty gritty details of the whole beginning and the start and everything. But um, how did you find the turnip? Well, it's funny, um, one of the girls in uh, the local YMCA here, they had a hip-hop cardio. And I love my hip-hop cardio girls. I truly do. But it wasn't, it just wasn't hip-hop enough for me. It was like, oh, okay. It was cute. cute. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, okay, I'm I'm getting a little dewy. Okay. (laughs) So one of the girls loved, I mean, loved Tansy. I'm like, Tansy, I'm like, who's that? Like, is she saying Nancy? He's like, no, no, it's Tansy. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I still didn't even look her up. I was just like, okay, whatever. So, so as a surprise for her birthday, the other, it was like a group of three of them that danced together. And so 
the other two girls had collectively um, had Tansy come to Port Huron to do, to surprise her. So I'm like, oh, okay, you know, so her name is Jackie. So it was Jackie's birthday. So they, we were going to do um, hip hop yoga at a new yoga studio here. So we all came, you know, we surprised her by all just being there. So then all of a sudden Tansy comes in the door. And so, you know, we all formed a line and she's like, what's going on? So we opened up and Tansy comes walking through and she about died. And I was like, who is this? It's not Michael Jordan. Like, what? Like, who is this? Like, I'm thinking like the reaction that she has, I would have if it was like Denzel Washington. I'd be like, oh my God, like Denzel, like, I'm gonna pass out. Oh my God, oh my God, it's Janet Jackson, I'm gonna pass out, right? And I'm like, okay. So then when she started dancing, I was like, oh, oh. okay, okay, I get it now. So I was like, I gotta follow this girl. So Alicia Oldham, who's also in the turn up, I was like, Alicia, I gotta get this lady's information. So I'm like, okay. So I watched a couple of YouTube videos and I was like, this, and I will tell you, and I am one thing I am, one thing for certain, two things for sure. My grandma would always say just that one thing for certain, two things for sure. I am real. I'm real about, I'm real, real. I said, who the hell is this white girl dancing like this? <laughs> I said, Oh my God, because that's hella funny. That's like the exact same thing that I saw when I started watching. I'm like, yo, white girl can get down. What? I said, swag for dates. <laughs> I said, and I can't even dance. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait. So I had to call, I had to call my daughter. I'm like, Mari. My daughter's name is Amari. I'm like, Mari, you gotta watch this chick. I said, look at the way she moves. So my daughter was like, dang, huh? I was like, right? I was like, twerking I was like all the white girls I've ever seen twerk look like like they are having convulsions like they are like having a seizure I was like is this girl like isolating her hips is she I, what and my daughter was like yeah ma she 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 got some sweat so then my 10 year old comes in he was like oh yeah I was like you go to your room <laughs> on the flip side who the hell is this white girl like I just I was totally like because I because mind you I've been working out with my three, you know, in the front, I'm like, they're like, do, 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 very melodic, do, 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 And I'm like, then you get Tansy, and she's like, I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. So I met her, like, I didn't even meet her. Well, I met her, like, Superhand, how are you, at Jackie's birthday party. But after that, I was like, I watched a couple videos, and I was like, yep. And I signed up, and I promise you, I signed up, like, the first year, I didn't even, I would just watch. I said, like, I didn't, and that's why, I don't know if you were on the call that one day when I said, I got to say something to Tansy, I said, and I'm going to be real with you, I said, when you said, don't just be here to be here, and I know you were talking to me, I said, but the first thing I said, I said, I will be real with you, I was like, who in the fuck is she talking to? She don't talk to me like that, like, I was, for real, nine, circa Tasha 1991, like, mm -hmm. what? Who the fuck? And so, like, everybody was laughing, they were like, I said, because I literally was like, and I was like, wait a minute, she's talking to you. Shit, what you, she's talking to you. And I said, and after that, that's what lit a fire in the media. Like, okay, Tasha, don't just be here to be here. Like, I was always, and I will always be super supportive of everybody in the group. Like, I like to post, you know, I will compliment them, comment, like, you know, you're doing a damn thing. Meanwhile, not doing any of it, but just being a, a supporter. And I mean, I'm still going to be that. I've always been that way. I think it's just in my, it's, it's innate behavior of mine. Like I'm a big, I'm a protector as I'm sure you may have, you may know. Um, I don't know if Tansy even, 
you know, talk to you about what her and I talked about, about situation that happened, but I was very vocal in how I felt. And I, I mean, I've always been that way. And, and it's funny because it was like, I didn't know you from anything outside of Turner. But I knew how what was said made me feel mm-hmm. as a minority. Like I instantly took offense. I instantly was hurt. I instantly was not in a happy place with the turnout. Like I was not. And I mean, you know, a few people can attest to that. Like I talked to them and like they had talked me off the ledge of quitting. Like I was at that point. I was at the point where I was like, yep, nope, not what I thought it was, you know? And so, um, like I said, I'm, I'm big on support. And for the first year, I just sat back and was like, oh, that's really cool. Oh, she can really dance. Oh, that's really nice. Now I would go to like the live, like she would have like, you know, um, sessions at, her, at the studio that she worked out in or she would have them outside. Like during pandemic, she had a couple outside, like at the park. I would go now, now pandemic, I was all in. But before then I would go to the like the little things that I, you know, and do my little shit. And I always stay in the back. You could never get me to the front. And I mean, to this day, I still go all the way to the back. And she always finds a way to go, Tasha. And I'm like, huh? You talking to me? You know, and I'll, mm-hmm. I'll meander up a little bit. But um, I've done a couple in the front and been like scared out of my gourd. But um, yeah, I found her through Jackie and I signed up. And like I said, for the first year, I just pretty much was a spectator, but also a supporter of everyone in the group. Um, but then I was like, okay, it's time to piss to get off the pot. Like I got to get, I got to pee and I got to go. And so mm-hmm. I've been, you know, I, I've been in a rut a little lately. I think it's the weather because I was so used to, I had a routine getting up. I was walking three and a half miles every morning. Now it's snowing and I can't, and I, and I really pretty much have been in a rut since like October when the weather, I think it's the weather change, you know, but I have really been fully into it since when she made that statement. I was like, oh, she's talking to me. Yeah, she's calling people out. You she's know, calling it, me out. it's funny that you mentioned that because that's when I first like really locked in with you I was like oh shit she's about to go off like she's gonna because I felt the same way when I saw that live I'm like who who is she talking to because I know it's not me because I've been I've been busting ass I know what I'm doing what is everybody else doing so then when we got on that call and you said that I'm like I like this I like this lady she's my people she's saying it she's and then you flipped it and I was like oh but then she changed it never mind and I was but what she's saying is making sense so that was kind of like my first uh I really got to feel like your your energy and your vibe and um really quickly I'm just going to touch on it because on Amani's podcast we did talk about it a little bit is and I know some of the listeners are going to be really confused like what the heck is going on some people from the squad are going to hear this and know exactly what's going on um without getting into too much detail on that situation uh there was a, a racist statement made I will say that the person that made the statement is not racist, but what was said was racist. And she will admit that it was very ignorant to have said it. And that's kind of where I crossed the line because it was attacking indigenous people, but very much ignorantly so because she had no idea. But the awesome part about the Turnip Squad is that there's nobody in there that's like, I'm better than her. I'm better than this one. It's a judgment-free zone. It's totally safe. So she came with complete open arms, open mind, and she had her eyes open and she was ready for it. She was ready for all the information, all the education on what she had said and why it wasn't okay. And a lot of like for low was brought up. It's like, okay, if we're not going to say thug or ghetto or gangster, those sort of things, because it it is derogatory remarks towards the black community, Mm -hmm. let's not do that. 
but it brought to light for a lot of people, oh crap, we do have Native Americans in this country still, and there's still things that we shouldn't be even be saying about them. Um, one that gets kind of loosely tossed around to me is the word savage. Um, for us, we flipped it, just like I'm sure other words for your culture, you guys have flipped it to make it into something that you can own and say, nope, you don't get to use this as a negative yeah. remark towards me. We've done the same thing with that word. Um, so it was it was a lesson like that that had happened within the squad, and I really feel it opened up a lot of people's eyes, and it it started to, I felt a shift happen about that time where a lot of people were like, you know what? No, like I need to stand my ground sometimes. And it proved that sometimes you're going to have to stand alone in that and be ready to fight for what you really believe in. So that didn't know what was going on. That's what was said. But with the turnip squad is such an amazing group. And just like Tasha, I have to say with your presence there and your, your time on the calls, whenever you're able to talk and when we have our open time and people are sharing, I know that just, and people hearing this, they can hear the power in your voice. They can feel your energy, which is amazing. I know a lot of the girls from the squad have caught on to that and they see that. And so what I wanted to go into next is what has come from the turnip squad for you on your, on your personal journey, what has come from that? Um, on my personal journey, I, I have actually, through people reaching out to me, I have learned to love myself. Um, a little background, um, growing up, I wasn't always accepted because um, I've always been the tallest girl. I've always had the deepest voice. I've always had the raspy voice. Um, you know, and, and people who don't know, there is racism within our own culture in regards to light skin, dark skin, um, mixed race people versus full African-American people. So all of my girlfriends were, well, my best friend was lighter than I. Another girl was darker than I, but they had money. So that made her better than me. Um, so growing up, like I never had a boyfriend. You know, I was always, you know, I was like first to pick for sports always, because I was a very good athlete. I was very good in basketball. I was very good track, you know, track and field. And um, and I was very book smart. But like, as far as like being the first one to be asked out, it was never me. Like I was never the boy's choice. And you know, that's hurtful when you're a teenager, you know, you're, you know, you're making your way through life. So you're like, well, why aren't I good enough? So why am I, why am I the ugly duckling? Like why, you know, why, why, why? You start to question your self-worth, right? So and people don't understand you take that with you into adulthood. In some way, that, that, that stigma sticks with you through adulthood. So although I had, you know, grown up and I had become a woman on my own and I had a career and I had, you know, a family and, you know, I still had that, well, why am I getting all these good things? Am I really deserving? Like that's, that's how it turned for me. It was still, it wasn't the same, like, you know, you're not good enough because you're too dark or you're too tall or your voice is too raspy. It turned into, why do you think you deserve that? Are you gonna be able to keep that? Like my fiance, he's, my fiance is your complexion. He's biracial. His mother is Dutch, his father is black. Um, and he's, I mean, I mean, I may be biased, but he's very, very easy on the eyes. And so the first thing I was like, why is he, why is he talking to me? Like, I mean, I had, I've had boyfriends since then because I clearly have, I have a daughter. But I'm like, this guy is like, in my, I'm like, this guy is fine. Like, 
He'd be the guy that we go to the party and come back home and be like, girl, did you see the dude in the Kango? Girl, he is fine. Like that, you see the guy in the Pelly Pelly coat? Like that's what we would, you know, he was one of those. And I'm like, me? Like, why did he cheat? Like out of all these, me? So that's how the, the shame I was made to feel and the, um, the being ostracized as a child, how it actually formulated for me as an adult. So then when I came into the turn up, like people would say things to me and I'd be like, yeah, okay. Sure, sure you like me. Sure you, you think I did a good job. Sure you like when I talk on the calls. Sure, it was still like, I was second guessing. Like I was always believing that there was no truth to what they, they were just saying it to say, it. like almost like being there to be there. They were just saying it to have something to say, to be, for them to be seen as saying something nice about someone else. And then finally I was like, wait a minute they really mean this. Like they really mean, like they truly do care for me. When they say love you, they really are meaning that they love me. And I'm like, they don't even know me. That can't be true. Like they don't even know me. But then I'm thinking, but Tasha, you really mean when you say you love them and you know you mean it because you know you. How can you say that they don't mean to them? So I was like, you know, it was a light bulb moment for me. I was like, okay. This is where I need to be. And like I said, I did a TED talk and I was like, had I known when I was a young girl making my way through life that I would eventually come to be in a group of women as powerful, as diverse, as strong as we are, I would have went through life with no worries. I would have said, you know, all this that I'm going through now, it's worth it. It'll be over. The struggle will be over because eventually I'm going to find my home. I'm going to find my squad. And guess what? I did. And when I finally allowed the love that was being shown to me to come through and I opened myself up to it, you can't tell me shit. You can't tell, you can tell me, you can say whatever you want to say about the squad. Oh, you in that girl group, you in that da -da -da -da. you can say whatever you want to say. It's just like, it just bounces right off of me because I know how the squad has changed me. And, and it's like, I talk about the squad all the time. Like, I talk about it and people are like, probably tired of hearing about it. I don't care. You know, like I said, to finding Tansy and then in turn finding the squad, like I don't even know half of the women in the squad, but those that I do know, I will go to bat for it. Like, like hands down. And even if I have to go to bat, you know, sorry, Tansy, but even if I have to go to bat for them against Tansy or against someone else, like if I feel that, that something is wrong, be mad because I'm doing it, you know? But the squad has given me that. It's given me that power to be able to know that I could do that and feel confident in knowing that what I'm doing is coming from a, like, hopefully whoever I'm talking to about whatever has happened or is going on knows that I'm coming from an actual place of love. And that love was created for me through the squad. So the squad pretty much gave me my, my grown woman swag. For real though. Yeah, we see it. We feel yeah. it. We all get it. We all get yeah. it. Now, <laughs> tell me about the own your you challenge. Okay, so I during my TED talk, like it's funny because I've never been a big speaker, like I said, because I've always been shunned and always, you know, didn't want to. I didn't want to speak up for lack of even if what I said was right for somebody to be like, shut up, you know, you don't know or whatever. Um, so when I did my TED talk, like. Like if things just like float and, and I don't know, but all, out of that, I coined the phrase own your you. And I'm like, you can't let anybody own you. 
Only you can own you. And so I was like, ah, oh, that's sweet little saying. And so from that, I started saying, okay, you know, I'm going to start doing my own your you challenges. So my daughter who does graphic design, she was like, mom, I'll help you, you know, do your challenges. And I'm like, uh-oh, did I lose you? Oh, there you are. And I was like, um, I said, oh, cool, you know, she's like, um, I'll help you do the challenges, mom. I'll set them up for you and I'll do the uh, Excel spreadsheet. And she even put like, like the actual women, like moving, doing the moves. Like it was just awesome. Everybody's like, oh my God, this is so cool. So it was just a way for me to like put a little challenge out there. Like, you know, the first challenge I, I had um, given out $75. It wasn't a lot, but it was like, I, it was out of my own pocket. Like nobody paid for it. It was out of my own pocket. The second one, people paid in. The first one, Michelle from the Turn Up one. The second one, Judy one. Uh, and then the third one I did, this is my birthday, a freebie. Like, hey, just work out with me for my birthday. And I set those up to kind of like, you know, give people something different. At the same time, a way for me to see that I can actually create something. I can actually create a workout plan. You know, and Lolita's still doing it to this day. Like, she's like, I'm almost done. You know, Elizabeth has done it. I had a couple, of, it was at one time, it was about at least 10 girls from the turn up, like they were doing it. And I'm like, this is so cool. And it was like, I would have never thought I was capable of doing something like that without the turn up. Like, I would have never had that confidence to step out on faith and be like, you know what? I'm going to set up a, a, um, a challenge to see who, you know, see who joins. You know, and I'm like, at the end of the day, my, and it's funny because I say this and, and the way I say it, it just sounds so cool to me. My win is your loss. Your weight loss is my win. Like you're like, that's, that's my win. My daughter was like, mom, I like the way you flip that. And I'm like, I wouldn't like my confidence and how I speak to people now and how I, you know, I've, I've always been a lover. So I can't say that, but like how I love on people even more now is all because of the tournament. Like it's all based on how I've been received and I've been allowed to pour into and be poured into from the turnout. Absolutely. And I 110% agree. I feel that the turnip squad, it has this ripple effect. And until you catch part of that ripple, you won't really know. So when we have some of these, these other people that are like, oh, whatever the turnip, oh, it's just a bunch of, it's this girl group. You guys are all girly, probably talk about girl stuff. I'm like, no, we talk about some real stuff, but it's, it's powerful. Yeah, it is. It's super powerful. And what Tansy has created, this culture is amazing. And I know, like, I'm going to keep saying this. I'm coming for her. I'm going to get her and I'm going to talk to her. But um, just the culture that she's created has been able to empower a lot of us to find our, just these different areas of our expertise and what really rides on our heart and what we're wanting to share with other people. So then you're able to push out your own challenge. And then also what I love is that it got your daughter involved and she really wanted to help. And then she's seeing it like, whoa, my mom's a badass. This is what she's doing. So I really love the ripple effect that the turnip squad um, just really emulates. And anybody that doesn't know, they have to get into it to experience it and really yeah. feel it out. So, they're missing out. They're, they're truly missing out. And I would say that the, the turnip really helps. It really does help. It brings light to it more. It's probably that driving force that like opens up the curtains or amplifies your voice. But if we get down to the nitty gritty and the root of it is that you are an amazing woman with so much resiliency and strength and 
all anyone will ever feel or see is just the beauty and the power behind your voice and everything that you have. And I, okay. I know even for me, I, I dig down deep and I really feel it in my roots as well. I'm like, yo, like you can't come up against me because I've got generations and generations of ancestors behind me that have been praying for me for years and you can't yes. ever get into that. So I feel like a, a lot of times, and especially for people of color, we're able to really stay connected in our roots and where we come from. And that's what I absolutely love about February with it being Black History Month. And I know even for natives, we have November. Um, we This is who we are every single day. But I love that we do get a month where everyone gets to recognize it with us and celebrate it with us. So is there any special way that you're celebrating Black History Month this month? Well, what I'm doing is I actually, like I said, I'm part of this committee. I'm trying to move my phone to sit right and it won't sit right. So I have to turn it sideways. But I can still see you. Oh, shoot. <laughs> this is Alyssa. No, this you. is me and Zoom, so I'm watching her struggle with her phone and moving. Right? I'm getting dizzy. <laughs> throwing me around all over the desk. <laughs> um, there you are. I got, see, I got my coffee cup. Let me move this. Um, I have actually put out a list of books. Um, I'm going to try to read a lot of books. I am so, and I will be honest, I told one of the ladies that I cheer with, there's so many books Today, I put out an email and I said, you know, because we have to, we're doing a calendar of things for the month of February. And my first line was, good morning, um, as we welcome in another beautiful day to celebrate Black history in the month of February, because I celebrate Black history every day of my life. And I said, you know, there are many ways that we can learn about Black history, not just about reading about Black history, but reading books that were written by the direct descendants of who we are honoring this month. And I just put a list of books, like, like I mean, one of my favorite books is The Coldest Winter Ever. I put on there the book um, by, you know, Why the Caged Bird Sings. Um, like I've never, and it's like, so my, my one girlfriend was like, I read that book, it's amazing. I'm like, I need to, I need to read more. I need to shut off the world and read more because when I tell you the list of African-American books that have been written and poems and, and just like little, a book of, um, there's a book where this lady talks about, it's like a, a, a whole lot of women and they have all of their speeches in there about how we need to be represented in literature. Like we deserve a seat at the table, you know? And I'm like, I need to read more. So for the month of this month ongoing till I feel like my eyeballs are burning, I plan to read more, uh, read more books written by African-Americans. And I mean, it, some of the books that when you read what they're about, you're like, like you just, it's like, it's eye-catching. And I think that as black people, we write with such power and, and we, with such energy and vigor and passion because we, we have that, like it's instilled in us. And it's funny because like I said to somebody, I said, you know, there's no way you know, white people will say, people that are racist, that are white, they, it bothers me because I'm like, do you understand that my ancestors are the reason why your ancestors survived? And it's like, you don't think that for every black child that was, or every white child that was born, there was a black mammy, as it was called, that breastfed that baby. So your, your ancestors, mom didn't breastfeed your ancestor. My ancestor let my ancestor's child suffer and go hungry to make sure that yours was fed by their breasts. And they look at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, do you not really know history? 
because clearly you don't. So, you know, I want my son to read more. He's a, he's a video gamer, just crazy. But I want him to read more. And if not, I want to read to him. Like, let me read some of these books to you. Some of them may be a little mature, but I did get, there's an author, crazy. She's a bestseller. She's a bestselling book on Amazon. And this is the book that she wrote. And she sent me two free copies. I'm so excited. I don't know if you can see what it says. I love my curls. Yes. So in here, she sent me two of these books. And I mean, when I tell you, I was so excited. Oh, that's cute. And isn't she the most gorgeous woman Absolutely. ever? We'll have She's to make sure we'll link that. We'll link that in the show notes for sure. That she, those are cute. Oh my goodness, she is a um, African American woman born and raised in Port Huron, where I live. She now lives in Philadelphia. She has a twin sister who's a doctor. You know, it just goes to show like we're not always on welfare, poor. You know, living in the projects. Like we do, we do hard things. We do good things, and like. She is so incredible. I actually have a recording she recorded for me where she's reading the book. She's reading the book to um, like to the audience. And it's just so cool. And like, you know, so I is, just want my son to read more. And I, I myself am going to read more as well. Is this book, it looks like it's for young Black women to really embrace their hair, yes. their natural hair kind of like a Alicia Keys moment, like yes, the beauty is everything. Well, it's funny because she said the reason why she wrote this book is because she says, you know, she, and it's funny because she touches on bullying and everything. Like as she's reading to the kids, she says, you know, she was picked on as a young girl about her hair, how curly her hair was. She goes, and I was, I hated my hair. I used to want it straightened and flat ironed. She says, but then I realized that my curly hair could do things that straight hair couldn't do. Like, so I started to love my curly hair. She goes, and like, right now I love floppy hats. You know, so she talks, you know, to on a children's level that allows them to understand it's okay to be different. It's okay to love who you are. You don't have to be made to, to, to be put in this form of what society deems you should be as a black woman. And like I said, to me, it starts in childhood. Because to me, that's where bullying starts too. So, I mean, I just love that, you know, I'm going to take the time to read and read and read and read, you know, and because they're like, I mean, we write all different types of things, you know, you got, you know, I don't know if you are aware of that, Terry McMillan, who wrote um, How Stella Got Her Groove Back, she's from Port Huron. Oh, wow. Okay. Born and raised, I work with her, it would be her cousin. He's a CPS worker. Like, she wrote the book, and then look who stars in her movie. Mm -hmm. Angela Bassett, Whoopi Goldberg, Tay Big, Regina King, who turned around Regina King has, she's Angela produced Bassett. and written like like, That's a queen right there. Is that not the craziest thing ever? Like this woman who grew, she was raised in the projects. Her grand, her mother was known to be, so they say the town prostitute, like she slept with men for money. And now look where she's at, right? So never let someone tell you who you have to be. Only you know who you're gonna be. So that's part of my own, you're you. That's awesome. So reading more. And you know, some people, and I, I say this from an experience that I had this last week is because for me, I've really taken up this subscription with this Afro-Indigenous uh, advocate 
who is pushing out and she's curated this whole history lesson for the month of February. And so we get daily emails and one really struck a chord with me about Billie Holiday. And I shared it in the squad, kind of like a history lesson on Billie Holiday and a specific song that she had sung about a lynching that had happened and a poem that was written about it. And it was a really powerful story. And once I hear that song again, now it just tears in my soul because it really makes you visualize what it was like back then. And just the, just how horrible a white community de could dehumanize a people and how it's still happening today. So I just felt really inspired and I felt like I needed to share that because it was really, really important. But then right afterwards, after I shut off my live I got a side message won't say who it was from but they were like are you sure that's really your your story to share I'm like history she's like well it was about like lynching and it's kind of a bit much and I'm like do you realize that black history is everyone's history these are people that have done amazing things for our country and they should be recognized by everyone no matter their color and you of all people should really be rec recognizing it, considering your 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 place right now. And so it was it was really interesting because then I I fell into the felt the need to explain myself and but I I feel it important because my son is Afro Indigenous. He's part Black and part Native. Unfortunately, he doesn't really stay too connected with the other side of his family. So it's kind of fallen upon me to make sure that he still understands that side of his family. So this month it's been amazing for me to take on these opportunities to tell him, you know, I know strong Black women, and I would love for you to hear these things, hear these stories, and understand that your culture on both sides is amazing, and you have this blood that's running through your veins that knows nothing but resiliency, and you're going to make something of yourself no matter what to take on and so it is interesting. You're talking about the lateral violence. Natives have that too. I'm considered a light-skinned Native, so I've been called an apple before where I look native on the outside, but I'm very much probably a white girl on the inside because I'm so light complected. So there's that weird lateral violence. And then there's also the mixture of like blood quantums, even for Native Americans. So with my son being Afro-Indigenous, it's really tough because it's like, I know as he gets older, it's going to be a little tough where, well, I am part black. No, you're native. Well, I am native too. Well, you're, you're part black. And it's going to be this, this, really horrible mixture for him as he gets older but if we're doing the work now and empowering our children to let them know and educate them no you can be both and it's beautiful that you are both so I love that there's a book for the young women that are probably from a young age because I, I my best friend in high school she was black and she was always straightening her, her hair and doing everything I was like I love your curly hair what are you doing and she's just like it gets in the way it's nappy and she's always just talking down on her hair now she froze it and she's like I don't care so it was amazing <laughs> transition her and again, in the same breath, I have to say, even for our Native American boys, all my boys have long hair. And it's really tough for them that even from their own people, they've been bullied for having long hair. Girls have long hair. Why do you have long hair? And very quickly, my oldest has caught on to Natives are supposed to have long hair. So then they're looking at themselves like, why don't I have long hair? Oh, no. Right. So I'm thinking so I love that you're you're taking on more reading and then definitely trying to push it for the kids um what do you think is a good way for other people to celebrate Black History Month I think people need to get out of their shell and get out of this notion that racism does not exist I think that they need to get from underneath the wings that they were raised under because some people it's it starts in the home 
You know what I mean? Like that's what they're taught. But be a realist and realize that life exists outside of your home. Go out in your communities, volunteer, pick up a book, you know, do some research. Like, you know, this lady that's on the chair with me, you know, she is a white woman. She is engaged to a woman. I will tell you, she probably knows more about black history than I do. And I mean, she is like very, very like, I mean, like she is like 10 toes down. This is what it is. You know, she will call them out. Like she has no problem calling on her own people. And I just feel like, you know, go, you know, go beyond what you're taught in school. Cause we weren't taught the real, you know, like we were taught the Harriet Tubman, Sojourner Truth, like we, Martin Luther King, you know, Malcolm X, like there's way more people that made a, you can't use uh, anything in your house without a black person being the creator of it. A whisk, didn't know that, black person. Stoplight, black person. President Cone, black person. Um, so what we were talking about the other day, oh, when your kids are out there in the summertime playing with those water guns, black person. Like, people need to really go out and just, just I just want people to step outside of themselves and only for the month of February, because I can't, you know, like I said, I live it every day. And I love it. I wake up and I love the skin I'm in every day. But go outside of yourself and do some real research, you know, to, to know that, you know, like I get so angry when they're like, go back where you came from. I didn't ask to come here. I would have stayed. My ancestors <laughs> did not ask to come here. You go back where you came from. Because mm-hmm. you didn't, like, let's be real. You didn't, this is not your land. You didn't start this. Like, so how about you go back where you came from? We didn't ask to come here. You know, we were, I mean, we were, I mean, brought here on ships. I mean, boats upon boats upon boats, layered, one on top of the other. If one died, Oh, well, they just threw him in the water, kept it going. And then to be to be put in like the town square, women and men to be auctioned off, to be oogled and looked at and picked apart and felt up and, you know, like used in science experiments to, you know, they, it was unsaid that black people don't have feelings. So we were like, we were like worked on by doctors with no anesthetics, with nothing to numbers, just ripped apart. They don't have any feelings. They're black. What? We're human. So I would, I would employ people to go out and do the research. If you have a local area that, that is, you know, doing any type of black uh, history, you know, program or something right now during the month of February, go to partake, be a part of, you know, live in the experience. You will never know what it's like to be me. I would never know what it's like to be you, but I would sure in the hell love to learn. You know, just open up your mind. That's all I ask is for, like I say, if only for the month of February, open up your mind and your and possibly opening up your mind can result in opening up your heart. You know, so that's all I would ask. Absolutely. And that's amazing. For people to lead with an open mind and an open heart, the world would be oh. a much better place. And yes. I really do appreciate you touching on this topic today, a very important topic. I, I love months like this where we get to celebrate a culture and just our diversity really unifies us. And I feel that you and I have been able to connect on this level because we know 
Like we know, we, yeah. we both have history, we both have generational trauma, historical trauma, cultural trauma, that we're able to connect and understand that in order for us to move forward, we have to recognize what has happened in the past and what we want to do for our future generations to come. So that's been an amazing connection I've been able to make with you. And for some people, and I know some people kind of get triggered on this topic, especially when it comes to race and black and white and all this, all this stuff and in between, it gets really, really heavy. So um, usually on the end of the, these episodes, I like to make it a little bit more of a lighthearted conversation because we hit some really deep things. And I know sometimes I get messages like, are you going to keep talking like that? Yep, absolutely. I will. So, so will my people. Like, of course, we always will. So we'll kind of lighten it up a little bit. Um, so just a few questions right off the top. My, my dome is, what song do you like to sing for karaoke? When the pandemic is done and we're able to go back out, what would be your, your go-to song for karaoke? Oh. I don't know why the first song that comes to my mind is Beyonce and, well, actually it was Destiny's Child. Because my body feel booty, let shit for you, babe. <laughs> Get it. It's Get like it. playing in my head while I'm singing it. <laughs> I don't think you're ready for this jelly. Yes. Oh, there you go. See? That's a good one. I always think of now. I think Shallow from A Star is Born by Lady Gaga. That one kind of hits. That is a good one. That is a good one. It's, on, wrote, my, it's, on, my, it's on my music list. Yeah. I, That's I, a good one. I just don't karaoke, though. Like, my I, don't, I, I can't sing, but I, I, I will sing in my shower. I'm the best singer in my shower ever. Mm -hmm. Karaoke? Mm -mm. No. <laughs> but I'll cheer you on, though. I'm a, I am good at that. She's the biggest supporter in the room. She said That's it. That's right. <laughs> All right. What is the best gift you've ever been given? Ooh. Well, the best gift I've ever been given is my children. That was, that was a gift from God. Um, but my best gift, gift, like, from like a person, um, even though my fiance helped, but would be the best gift I've ever been given. Oh, that's a hard one. I have got, I've been given some really nice gifts. I have to say as of late, and I haven't even opened them yet. I'm so bad. My mm -hmm. birthday, my fiance got me a new pair of Skyline Beats um, for my birthday. They're still in the box, but as far as gifts that I use, I have to say my Apple Watch because I do everything by it. Like I talk on it. I'm, it's my motivation to work out because I mm -hmm. want to see those numbers. I want to see that calorie burn. So yep. it's like a gift within a gift. So I would have to say my Apple Watch besides my two babies would be my Apple Watch. Okay. So we're comparing two babies to an Apple Watch. <laughs> Just kidding. Yes. <laughs> we are. Because my two babies. Exactly. Made me, they, need, they made me need the Apple Watch to get this gut off that I got from them. This is from you. All right. What are your two two pet peeves? Just two of them. Oh, the things that I don't like. I don't like a liar or a thief. Because if you do one or the other, you'll do them both. Mm -hmm. Just shoot me, shoot me real. Like don't mm -hmm. don't lie. I don't like a liar. And like I said, because if because my grandma would say, if you lie, then you'll cheat. If you cheat, then you'll steal. Mm -hmm. So like, I'd rather you. I'm a firm believer it's not what you say, it's how you say it. So still give it to me respectfully because I could just know that what you give me, I'm going to give you back. So be ready 
if you think that you, I'm going to did it, because guess what? I'm going to did it right back. So I just want, I, I'm all about realness. So my two pet peeves is do not lie. Oh, do not lie. And do not, like, I don't like a cheater. Like, I just, those are pet peeves for me. Just be honest and be real. And I'm over here all petty. I'm like, I don't like it when people chew with their mouths open. And then if you look at me a certain way, you don't tell me how you're feeling. Like, I'm going to be like, why, why do you look like that? And then when you can't answer me why you look the way that you do, <laughs> I get frustrated. And then I'm like, even more like, oh, you're still looking at me like, <laughs> like that. So if you look at me a certain way and chew with your mouth open where I can hear it. Uh-oh, you're done in trouble. Deal. Done deal. <laughs> okay, last one. Favorite holiday. Christmas. 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 I love, and I think it's because I'm a gift giver. Like, I think that's my love language is gift giving. Like, I love, because I listen to what people, like, when they, like, even in the calls, I'll listen to what people are saying that they like or that they miss having or that they wish they had. Or so it was fun for me when it was random acts of kindness. I was like, oh, baby, this is my spot. I went to Hobby Lobby. I racked up. I sent out gifts. Like, I, I think that's my love language is is because I know that the smallest thing can make the biggest impact. So like, I mean, I got um, Amy McFall's uh, unicorn, I can't, a unicorn pillow. She loves unicorns. And it made like, she was like so excited. And that the excitement of her being excitement, being excited, I mean, made me happy. So Christmas is my favorite. I mean, besides the fact that that is, that is the Lord's day, I tell my son that, you know, like that, without him, we wouldn't be here. But the mere fact that he allowed me to open up my eyes that day to see another day and to be able to give gifts, like, hmm. I'm up for it. Mm-hmm. All right. And then the last one, in one sentence, what would you tell anyone who's struggling with their confidence right now? I would say, I would start out by saying, own your you. Because that shit is yours to own. Amen. I feel it. Well, Tasha, this has been absolutely amazing. And I know all of our listeners are going to absolutely love this. I will make sure to link everything about you, for you, about that book in the show notes. And I just have to say, this has been an absolute blessing. And this has been my favorite month of recording so far because I got you myself I got Amani all to myself and I'm like I'm just I'm just so blessed to know just such amazing queens you are an amazing woman you exude strength and resiliency and you're just this powerhouse and you're a force to be reckoned with and I didn't realize we had so much in common and I absolutely love it and it just made me so happy to be able to sit down and have this conversation with you today is there anything that you'd like to leave our listeners with um, I just want to leave the listeners with, first of all, I just want to tell you there's another book that you may be interested in. This book is Anti-Racist. This is an amazing, amazing book. Um, but I want to leave listeners with just be kind. It's, it's, there is no reason why, no matter what your history, no matter what your, what your, what your now is, you know, what your present is, how you were raised, everyone is human. We all have feelings. This is just a shell. This is a shell. It's that soul that's in the inside. That's what, what makes you you. So if you're if it's ugly and nasty and you can be beautiful to the physical eye, but if that in the inside is cold and ugly, 
it's not it's not good so i just want people to all your listeners out there which i know you're gonna have a ton i just want them to all love on each other treat each other with the same respect and dignity that you want bestowed upon you thank you for listening to the enough is enough podcast if you would like more information on our host guests or podcast episodes please visit us on instagram at eie541 